same old trouble villains always knocking at the door pretty pictures on the page but nothing ever stays the same hello everyone and welcome to graphically novel my name is josh Watta, aka fallout fieri and with me as always is the oroko sake to my hamato yoshi the vernon to my april o'neill jen to this entire intellectual property (laughs) and with us as always this season the lovely and talented Jennifer the Baronessa. Hello, hello. And we are fortunate today to have a guest with us who loves all things TMNT, Jonathan Neal. Thank you for joining us. You're very welcome. I wouldn't say all things. There's a few things that I would be like very happy if they had never happened. <laughs> okay. All right. That's fair. I'm just going off on the I am a total fanboy. Oh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Did, those, did those two things happen in 2014 and 2016, respectively? Two of those did, and another one happened in 1997. <laughs> I was just going to say, I know one of those things happened in 1997. Yes. All I, I will say it. is turtle boobs. <laughs> right? Yes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> John, out of our entirety of season two, of which we are almost done, We only have two more episodes after this one. You got in pretty quick. TMNT was bam. You were within seconds that you were claiming Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Can you give us a little history with graphic novels and why TMNT was your go-to? Well, so when I first saw you post it, I was like, well, I'm instantly going to jump into this because if someone else goes to do this and I listen to it, which I will, I'll be very upset if they're missing some of the things that I think are really cool. So I didn't want anyone else to do a half-assed job just because they were like, I liked the cartoon. We all did, man. We all grew up in the 90s. Pizza's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) With Ninja Turtles, I did not start with the graphic novel because it was when the animated show came out it was just like issue nine had just came out and that was over three years so i didn't even realize there was a comic for it much later until i was like in my teens and the tv show had already just kind of started to go to the way of the dinosaurs and such because i mean they ran that thing pretty much to my mid-teens because i think the animated it went 10 seasons yeah So it went until like 97, and I couldn't tell you anything that happened after probably 93 with it. Because, you know, once you hit 13, 14, then you have Spawn and all the other comics that were coming out at the time, and Image was a huge name, and everything was dark and gritty and anti-hero. So, no, the main reason I want to jump in on Ninja Turtles was I just, I think it's a fantastic property. I love that they have retold somewhat the same story four different times in four different time frames for generations of people watching reading whatever and it has always picked up an audience there's just something in the core of it that attracts people so how about graphic novel i'm looking at your room obviously this will be just the audio only yeah but i see a lot of star wars i see a lot of geekery is around graphic novels how do they fall into that Oh, graphic novels are the best book with pictures you can read. (laughs) You can pick up a great novel, an actual novel, just read it and run with the power of the imagination and 
picture it all in there. And then with the graphic novel, you have this wonderful medium where you're blending actual art in with it. I won't even say just artwork, but it is art. Some of the full panel spreads are just, you can hang them on the wall and some people do. I love graphic novels because for one, it's easy to get people into something. You don't have to say, here's a stack of 14 individual issues that I'm going to have you read through. It's one book. You hand it to the person. You say, give this a read, check it out. And nowadays it's a lot easier because we tend not to have the attention spans we used to. When it comes to wanting to sit down and read something, you have to have pretty pictures too. So we're going to spin a little bit. Bear, what was your history with TMNT? On this show, we've talked about your history with He-Man and Transformers. This falls kind of into the similar time frame. This was 100% one of my favorite cartoons when I was a kid. I mean, it started airing in 87, so I was like 10 years old. And the original animated ran through, was it 6 or 97? I was graduating high school, and I was still watching episodes. It was just that good. And I've actually been kind of surprised. It, it kind of fell off for me since then. Like, occasionally something would pop up, or I'd see something like, I remember when I was in college, a friend of mine had Rift Tabletop RPG, and there the was Palladium. a... Yeah, had the specific book for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Beyond that, it hasn't ever, like, it never really popped up. I was just going through and watching, doing my research for the show, and I'm like, holy cow. There's been a series that's pretty much come out with only a few years gap between each new series. Yeah, at one point, Mirage was bought by Nickelodeon. That is when Eastman and later they gave all rights to them. Well, and Eastman so, had sold his rights way before Well, that. yeah, but they would still, every once in a while, like let him do stuff with it but this was just like full-on we have severed the cord this is 100 percent a nickelodeon product now funny enough 2012 and then you have 2014 2016 two movies came out by michael bay and nickelodeon studios <laughs> that fans were a little unhappy with and not done for this show but something that i know i've watched the 2012 animated movie it, Are you talking the TMNT movie, the CGI one? Yeah, because the CGI one, that was based off of, and this like, this goes into the whole time frame of like the animated series. I call that the TMNT animated series, because that was the one that started off with like a really fast, like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That started in like 2003. So that ran for a while. Uh, What I was going to say with Bear was that Palladium actually did come out with a TMNT RPG that they dropped out in like 85 or so. It was like only a year or so after the comic came out. They had made an RPG for it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that was the copy that I had seen. The yeah, it's uh, or the, the Rift system, however you want to look at it. Yeah, it's uh, Ninja Turtles and other strangeness. I myself never got to actually play it because it was one of those, unless you knew someone who had the book or had acquired a copy of the book through whatever means. Or you knew somebody that had the wall of Palladium and Rift stuff. Yes. That, <laughs> you, if you got into it, you apparently just bought everything because... Everything had a different system. Everything had its own book. Mm-hmm. And you just bought all of it. Palladium was, do you have an idea? Yeah, here's a book. Let's make it. My first ever role-playing game, Riffs. I will pluck you out of your freshman year of high school in a new school where you know no one. Here's five books and a graphing calculator to make yourself a character. <laughs> Thank you, Jason Bloomy. Before we get over to Jen. I just want to point out that the media aspects that we will be talking about during this show that are going to be 
everything on the table, heavy spoilers, no problems. The 87 cartoon, the 1990 movie, the live action movie, and the 2014 Michael Bay movie. Those are the things that we're going to come in, assuming that people that are listening to the show have watched at least one of them. Spoilers are off the table. For the comic, try to keep things a little vague. Don't talk about specifics in the comics, even though, as I'm sure we'll talk about, there are a lot of similarities between the two. Jen, you had never really experienced anything Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Why don't you give us a little of your first experience? Well, I wouldn't say that I haven't had any experience. I mean, it's been very peripheral because of the timing. Aging myself out of the I was raised in the 90s group. 1987, when that animated series came out on the TV, I was a freshman in college. Yeah, you were dealing with more interesting things like boys and I also also didn't have a TV. I didn't own a television until 1992. <laughs> Awesome. And then I didn't have cable until 1996. Yeah, that was all around, but I was completely the wrong age group for it. Always. I just always have been the wrong age group for it. <laughs> so it holds zero nostalgia for me. I know it's there. It is incredibly popular. Obviously, if you look at IMDb, like I was like, oh, I just want to get some dates. The list of titles for TV series, movies, video games, what have you, is incredibly long. I don't know that I've seen another franchise that has a list this long of media associated with the title. You'd have to go into something like Star Wars or Star Trek, you know, something real deep sci-fi. I would be bold enough to even say Spider-Man for the amount of product that has been made along the lines of what Jen was saying. Comic comes out in 84, TV show comes out in what, 87? Mm -hmm. And then boom, in 90, you have a movie. You're going to follow it up with another one in 91. 93, they do the last one from that. In between that, you're going to have four different video games, if I can remember correctly, while also spanning off two or three other comic book series, which with comics, you know, it's really common to go, oh, hey, this is popular. Now we have 19 titles you can choose from. But this is like going from 1984 all the way up till 2020 today, that there's really never been a dead or dark age for Ninja Turtles. There's always either been something in production being produced or is currently been out even if it wasn't good there was still something there to fill that gap well and i find that amusing that you've looked at imdb just before the show because when we were going through just the three properties one episode of the cartoon and the two movies that we watched you were also there when bear and i watched tmnt batman Batman, which was amazing (laughs) delightful delightful (laughs) but as we're watching it you were like oh god when does this just how much of this are we going to watch? And the answer is we watched 5% of what was out there. Thank you. I appreciate that. The show isn't <laughs> over until Batman has pizza. <laughs> exactly. For myself, 87 was just, it was the golden age of the NES. It was my brother and I hunkering down after school and just watching whatever. We had our special cereals that we had just for Saturday morning. So we would get up early, go make ourselves cereal, hunker down in the living room and 
you know, Nintendo cereal. The Captain N cereal, eventually, yeah. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was, even if we were going to sleep in a little bit, even if we were like, ah, we'll miss Snorks or, you know, whatever is like super early, we will be up for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and we will be watching. I never slept in on Saturday mornings. I was always up watching cartoons. I'd get up earlier on the weekends than I would during, like, during the week, I'm just like, no, I want to sleep in. Saturday morning, I'm up. Like yeah. 6 a.m. sitting in front of the TV at 10 years old. It was the 80s. It was the golden age of kids' cartoons. Holidays come by, birthdays come by, and the toys start to be a thing in our house. I mean, we had done pretty well with He-Man before that, and I think my mom was just glad that there was another product we were getting into that both of us were into. And even my sister, who's six years younger than I am, even she has memories of us doing a lot of Ninja Turtle stuff. There was a fighting game that came out for the Genesis that was almost the reason I bought a Genesis when I was a kid. Uh, I was never a Sega family, but I was like, oh, they have the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles fighting game. Turtles Tournament Fighter? Yep, that's the one. And to knock off all of my best memories of this franchise, my brother and I saved our allowances so that we could each get a roll of quarters and my mom dropped us off at the mall at Tilt, which had its own entrance at Lindale Mall. Walked in, and both of us cracked the roll of quarters on the TMNT arcade machine because we were going to be there until we beat that game. <laughs> he played Leonardo, I played Michelangelo, which were not the best characters, but they were our turtles. And we went all the way through. I think it took us like three hours and most of the 20 quarters. You really want a Leonardo Donatello team up. Mikey and Raph were clearly the weaker points in that. But as long as you mastered the jump kick, right, yep. we're going to get kick. through it. The All jump kick it. was key. And don't do the double button press. You're just going to lose life. <laughs> <laughs> now, as for the graphic novel, this is actually the first time I've read the graphic novel. I've always known about it in my periphery, and I knew it came from a comic. I knew the story of Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird sitting around just doing brainstorming and Peter Laird writing out this bulky, it looked more like a tortoise with nunchucks. I knew the stories behind it and I got super into it for a while, but I never really actually sat down and read the comic. So this will be the first that I have read the graphic novel. The homework was the first three issues. I have the omnibus. Bear, you read the entire omnibus. When I realized that we were recording this weekend, I was like, I'm going to do some extra credit homework. <laughs> and watched a bunch of the series, and I didn't really watch many of the movies. I could not bring myself to go watch the Rubber Suit movies again. Could not bring myself to watch the Michael Bay movie. But I watched a bunch of the series stuff over again. I did not subject myself to the Michael Bay ones. I had already given a good effort to be open-minded with those. They're not absolute trash. They're really easy to pick on. Especially once you put Michael Bay's name on something, there's automatically a target to it weird enough i had just watched avatar the last airbender with the kids for like the last three weeks we went through the original animated and then the kiddo wanted to watch the movie and i kind of put it side by side with that it's like if you told somebody what ninja turtles was about and then they just went and made a movie about it like they didn't bother <laughs> reading it they were just like like i go over to josh's house and i say hey the studio gave me a ton of money with this property 
tell me about it. And then I just take a couple notes and go, yeah, I'll, I'll figure it out. Whatever guy metal suit. I got this. For some reason, whoever told Michael Bay about it really liked Vernon from the original cartoon, which was Loved Vernon, a strange character to focus on. <laughs> now I was going to say during the introduction with the Vernon to your April O'Neil, would you say that you're more the Irma to Jen's April O'Neil? You mean constantly lusting after her in a secret lesbian kind of vibe? Yes. There you go. See, I nailed it. (laughs) (laughs) The graphic novels themselves are really hard to originally get into. If you don't remember kind of how big the black and white indie comic explosion was in the late 80s, early 90s, comics weren't doing bad. You had Killing Joke, you had The Dark Phoenix... So you had a lot of really cool things going on, but everything was dark and gritty. And I beg to differ that Dark Phoenix was cool. Save it for the finale. The general theme of comics were these big, dark storylines. Michelangelo being the first ever created ninja tortoise turtle with the taped on nunchucks and Mirage Studio run. One through three, which was the reading homework, I'd mentioned this to Josh kind of off. They're great to start with. The first issue itself throws a lot of people because growing up, watching the animated, that being basically life for the next five, six years or longer. And so you go and you pick up these comics, and this is what happened to me is I went up to The Pit, which was a comic book place up in the Waterloo Mall which was just tiny. Yep. Yep. And they had had a couple collections of the books or whatever. I picked some up. They were obviously reprints or whatever. Memory gets a lot hazier once you're in your late (laughs) thirties. And I kind of started reading them and the first issue totally threw me off because you kind of think it's the whole thing right there. Because with the way the first issue ends, you're like, well, that's that's the big storyline. That's everything. And so when you jump into issue two, and this isn't a spoiler, it's right on the cover, you're introduced to Baxter Stockman. There's a mouser right on the cover. And you're like this throwaway character, Baxter Stockman. And then you realize that in the comics, April O'Neil was smart. She was a computer programmer. She was not a bumbly reporter. And she had character depth to her. And then issue three comes by and you're kind of running through this craziness that is issue three with the end of that issue going what there are representations of april o'neill where she is represented as smart i mean look at megan fox oh absolutely okay stop right there there are people who cannot stand megan fox because of what michael bay did to that character if you like reading the comics idw did a run that was kind of a reboot of Ninja Turtles. I think IDW took over 2011-ish, it might have been. So the thing with talking turtles or Ninja Turtles in comics is it is going to be very hard for you to just grab one and go, oh, this is the definitive turtle continuity and storyline that I need to read. Because there is so much you're going to delve through. There's the original like 62-issue run from Mirage, which went 84 to 1993. And then you had IDW, which did some reprints, and they did classic Turtle Adventures, the Archie comics that came out in 87, which followed the cartoon TV show that we watched as kids, which were more than likely going to be the comics you had found growing up that would have been sitting on store shelves because they had the turtles you remembered. 
not four weird looking turtles with red masks that are angry all the time. And then you have the image run of Ninja Turtles known as volume three and then volume four, which is the volume three continuity by skipping over everything image comics had done because it was so off the walls, bananas that when Eastman took back over, he was like, yeah, we're just going to not even talk about that. We're going to continue right on from issue two. Even if you find places online to pick up the books, like Comixology was a really good one to pick up if you have like Amazon or whatever that you could pick up issues with their unlimited and kind of read through them. But it gets very confusing to realize what storyline went with what issues and which were branched off from like when they tried to reboot it to what were following the original Mirage comics. So that's going to be the hardest thing about kind of talking through a lot of these issues is remembering if this happened in timeline A or timeline B, because the core Ninja Turtle timeline is going to be the black and white, which they touched on in Turtles Forever. Forget it, Jake. It's graphic novels. (laughs) How confusing Ninja Turtle comics can be. Unfortunately, we will not be getting as deeply into the graphic novels due to spoilers because we want people to read them. However, with that lovely primer, at least people will know where to start going to. Bear, what did you think about the actual graphic novel? This yeah, is your first I time reading? Loved it. First time reading it, I tore through that whole omnibus. I think I read that in a day. It was absolutely amazing. I was actually really into the fact that it was black and white, so it kind of took you a minute to figure out who exactly was might be talking. You don't have the colors of the bandanas or the mask to give you any clues. Minor spoiler, didn't always just fight with their signature weapon. The violence in there was a little bit surprising, but I thought it was cool because it, it kind of took it to a more mature level as opposed to everything that was, well, it used to be like either PG-13 or no rating until Nickelodeon got hold of it, and then it was all like TV-7 for Well, yeah, the comics are where you're supposed to go. Like, if you remember being a huge Ninja Turtle fan growing up and watching the cartoon, the comics should be automatically where you go when you're in your teen years or even later in your adult life and you want something more realistic and gritty. They are perfect for that. So exactly what you said. It hits that part of Turtles that you kind of wish you could have grown up into. The thing about the 84 comic, you talk about independent comics and This was graphic novel punk rock, and I'm curious, other than the most obvious kind of rip, and Jonathan, let's give my co-host a second to try and answer this before, because I know you'll jump right in. Of the things that we have discussed and looked at, how many references to quote-unquote mainstream comics did you pick up on? in these issues that we read. From the actual graphic novel referencing other mainstream comics? Mostly mocking other mainstream comics. Like I said, very punk rock, very indie comic. Not being a big comic book reader, I didn't really notice a ton, and it's actually been a while now since I read the graphic novel that we were doing for this, so it's hard for me to remember, but I don't think I picked up on a ton. Jen, any? Not being a mainstream comic reader. I just read it last night and you asked that question. And I was like, really? I don't remember that. <laughs> All right, John, teacher, since you're on teacher. camera, you're vibrating <laughs> and holding your hand up like, ooh, ooh. I'm entering the speed force. Ooh. I'm entering the speed force right now, just from this turtle power. Depending on your knowledge of comics, there are tons of nods to things. The main thing to keep in mind is... Both Eastman and Laird were huge fans of Daredevil 
and Ronan. Those were two of the biggest influencers into how they wrote those comics. The main thing that I like, as I say, fun fact, is when you're reading the first issue, the blind guy that's almost hit by the truck and the kid who jumps in the way to save him. This is not a spoiler. If you know Ninja Turtles exist, you know Ooze made them. It's, it's in the name. <laughs> the, the guy that's getting pushed out of the way, the guy that's pushing him is supposed to be a, a mock of or possibly never said. It's Daredevil. That's the same stuff that made Daredevil, that made the Ninja Turtles. And so they throw that in there because you can kind of see it in the comic that that's what they were spoofing. That's entertaining that they're trying to tie that in as that was the same event that made both of them. Ronan being a Frank Miller property that we have not discussed. But the other part, the teenage part, I found was because New Mutants was huge during that period, which was all about the teenage angsty mutant class that was coming up through the beginning of the 80s they threw in the teenage aspect because new mutants was pervasive and was everywhere in comics during that time also i think everybody needs to acknowledge that this vital part of a good majority of ours youth and history is the leading cause of people mispronouncing michelangelo <laughs> the renaissance <laughs> <laughs> because eastman and laird who had a book with Renaissance painters and sculptors. That's a true story. That's actually how they got the names. Misspelled it as the name Michael and then Angelo. Just throwing that A right in there and causing all of us to grow up mispronouncing this man's name. And it wasn't even until like issue 40 plus that they finally changed the spelling of it, but still refer to him as Mikey. <laughs> 33 years they've been like three generations of kids that are all mispronouncing this because oh yeah the, the, the great renaissance michelangelo <laughs> it was a complete flub it got left in there and it was i mean you got to remember issues one through nine spans three years i believe it is like issue 40 something that they finally spell it michelangelo for one thing and then it kind of just goes away for a second and they go right back to just calling him michelangelo which i just think is a delightful little thing if you're if you're kind of looking at it that everybody grew up thinking michelangelo and how many people with art degrees and such had to listen to all these small children talk about how great michelangelo is just blame the rat well, he's a rat. He's living in the sewers. You know, he learned martial arts. Right. <laughs> Oroku Saki is actually the brother of the antagonist. Because when you're reading it and you read Oroku Nagi and you're like, who the heck is this guy at all? It's really cool to see how this main story, because really issue one kind of just that is the origin of the Ninja Turtles. And pretty much what everything after that has been based on has been Turtles v. Shredder. And every reiteration of their origin story, it's just cool to see that I don't think anyone has ever actually tackled that it's supposed to be the brother of the guy that issues with Hamato Yoshi. In our Birds of Prey episode, our last episode, we talked about the concept of honor that pops up in comics and things like that. And that's a very strong honor-based. The origins for the movie were a lot closer than the cartoon. The cartoon was simplified down to what kids could really process and how easy it would be to just throw this in. They were all animals. Boom. Okay, let's go. The movie 
which was actually Eastman and Laird had more of a hand in, it was a lot closer to the actual origin story. Oh, yeah. The movie is an absolute love letter to anybody who read the comics and or watched the animated. You could be somebody who, like at me at that time, I would have been like nine years old when that movie came out. If I had an older brother who had read the Mirage comics run and was like, let's go see what this is, it would have hit for both of us because there's so many things in there from the comics that you can see. And even if they are slight changes, they're still pretty much straight out of the comic. And then watching from the cartoon aspect, you still got the four turtles, the colored masks, the humor and personalities. Because I remember seeing it in theater and being really confused at the whole, like, he was his pet rat and then he got mutated and somehow this rat just learned ninjutsu chilling in a cage. If I get a pet rat and start going to Taekwondo, do I get a Taekwondo rat? Is this how life works now? Putting that in there was actually really cool as coming from the comic and such. If you do talk about volume three at all, it definitely isn't a spoiler because it is not canon in the least. They completely cut and skip out of this run from Image Comics, which is only like 25 issues. And if you grew up reading Image Comics, it goes bananas. People lose half a face. People get turned into a cyborg turtle with a automated death program running through them. People lose a hand. Someone becomes the shredder from the group. Oh, it yeah. goes so <laughs> far off the rails. And when you go to start it, you're like, oh, I wonder what I'm getting into because I've been reading these. Does, you know, does Spawn appear? No. However, there is a crossover with Savage Dragon. <laughs> nice. Where he calls one of the turtles by the wrong name and he says, I'm so-and-so. And he goes, yeah, whatever. And just continues on. It, the first image, the first issue of this third series, when you open it up, there's an explosion. There's somebody's mangled body of the turtles on the ground. And you're like, okay. And there is a ninja zealot looking woman, a zealot from Wildcats, her outfit. There's a person standing there looking just like this, red, very strappy leather all over the body with two katanas and bleached white hair. And you automatically know that, okay, yes, this is a 90s image Ninja Turtle comic, and it is going off the rails real fast. And you kind of just buckle in and go, let's go for this ride. Awesome. Jumping over to the 1990 movie. We've talked a little bit about the cartoon. We've gotten a tiny bit into the Michael Bay movie, but let's talk about the 1990 movie, live action, rubber suits. Not just rubber suits, but Henson Studio rubber suits, which... When you go back and watch them, even now, it's really impressive. The articulation in the face, the lack of what I call crinkles in rubber suits, which really kind of breaks it. So if you go to like two and three, you can tell the loss of production value, especially three. If you watch Turtles in Time, you can very much see the rubbery skin of this suit with lack of depth all over it but with one it just really goes to show because cgi was not so good back then they went you know the only place you really could go which was henson studios and this was still when henson was alive so he worked very closely on the suits the way they did them the fact that you had the actor on the inside someone off camera running the face and just the way it was shot with the lighting and such completely gives that absolute these are real things standing there in front of you 
And that's one of the main things I just remember as a kid being blown away from was just how good those suits were, especially props to every actor in that suit for every stunt they pulled off with the flips and kicks and drops and everything. Yeah, with like, a 50 rubber suit on you. Yeah. Yeah. And a motorized head above you. <laughs> <laughs> that you can't really see out of, I'm sure. You just got to kind of take the direction from it and hope you kick Foot Clan member six instead of Foot Clan member two. Also, playing musical instruments in those suits, not in the movie, but in the Pizza Hut tour that happened in the late 80s. That was 1990, sir. The coming out of their shells tour. Was which it? I was went it and saw live <laughs> here in the great city that we live in. And I remember sneaking around side and actually wandering to the backstage area by just walking up on the seats in the higher area and seeing Shredder and April O'Neil hanging out backstage. And I said hi and waved to them. And they were like, hi. And they waved back and then promptly being told, sir, you can't be back here as a small child. I remember the cassette tape you could get. I remember the Pizza Hut promotion that you went to. Yep. I had the VHS tape. Which, which I you got, which you got if you ordered a certain amount of pizza. Correct, and I had all of it. And I hate music is still one of the best songs off that album, which is just the shredder talking about how much he hates music by singing about it. Oh man, dude! So listen, I can still sing to you half the song. Absolutely. I was about to ask Bear, what rating would you give this movie? I would give this movie a nine point nine five. Jen Put has a. Uh, in overdrive, this right here. Jen watched this before the pandemic with Bear and I, and both of us were singing songs from it while it was playing because we probably wore out the soundtrack when we were younger. <laughs> uh, well, Turtle Power, as the kids say, still slaps. <laughs> if you're going to watch the movie, if you don't remember, a Pizza Hut baseball commercial, the movie, and then immediately letting the credits play so that you could hear all of Turtle Power. I don't feel like you've really absorbed that movie the way it should be. <laughs> I found it on Spotify today while I was making breakfast and was playing it in the kitchen. And I realized that I knew I knew all the lyrics to the ninja rap from the second movie i didn't remember that i know every single lyric to turtle power which is the most (laughs) 90s of a 90s it's a very 80s rap in a 90s movie oh yeah you got to be able to rap along with that you got the robotic t-u-r-t-l-e power Power. (laughs) uh, now can you start it off on the half shell that the heroes for in this day and age you could ask for more the crime wave is is high serious all All police Well, now you're messing me up. (laughs) No, no. As soon as you went into it, I was like, this man knows it. So we have also found to give a little special piece for season three. We will be doing Tank Girl in season three. And Tank Girl is my Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles for Jet. Jen really enjoys Tank Girl. I don't know if I was just not the right age or ready for it or what, but yeah. Tank well, Girl's good. You can completely understand how I feel about all of this. Don't like the music. 
I don't like the movies. I don't like the TV show. The graphic novel was passable. I don't like it. So I will sit here quietly and you guys can wax rhapsodic about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles because I dislike. Okay. Homework that I sent you all just before the show was to make a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie, cartoon, whatever, but give me a plot and give me a cast. I had told Josh this a little bit before he started recording. I'm awful at this when it comes to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles because I don't think you need any big name star in that movie. The Turtles property is big enough that the people that want to go see it will. And I know that with the casual fans, you have to have a big name in there to pull attention. But if you go back and you look at the original 1990s movie, the Juice Hogue, or how do you pronounce her last name? The girl that played April O'Neil had, had barely done anything before that movie. The, the first April O'Neil? The first yeah. and third? The, the one that everyone thinks of when they think of April O'Neil from the movies is her. She nailed the role. She was very strong and empowered for a female role in that movie. She had a couple moments where like, she was in trouble, but she never really was the damsel in distress. The guy that played Casey's Jones was not a big name actor at any point at that point either. And that movie went on to make, it, it made something crazy. It made, made over a hundred million. Yeah. Oh, easily, easily made over a hundred million, but. I'm surprised Josh hasn't brought up that the actor that played Casey Jones was also, I think it was the first Omen movie, wasn't it? I don't know. I've never seen any of the Omen movies. I'm not that big of a horror fan. Its budget was $13 million and it made $202 million, sorry. But right. that was with no big name in that movie, really, at all. You got the Feld in that movie. That was one voice for Donnie. He didn't come back for the second, but this is what I love. He doesn't come back for the second, which was still a passable movie. It was I very much weird. the second more than the first. The second's great. Toka Razar, hilarious. I love it. You know, the, the little scene in there. Two's fantastic, except for the fact that the moment that movie starts, you have to get a large cheese pizza because that subliminal messaging works. It's the power of Ernie Ray's Jr. It is. That's, it's all about him. What, wasn't he also a surfer ninja or something? Yes, he was in Surf Ninja. He was a ninjas. surf ninja. Yes. Yep. Yep. There was, there's a movie called Surf Ninjas. I... Loved him in one of The Rock's best movies, The Rundown. He is the He's Rumble the in the Sean Jungle. Rumble in the Jungle. Sean yes. William Scott's in the face. <laughs> yes. No, he is a crazy, crazy martial artist. And yes. I remember that there was a rumor, I never confirmed it, that he was one of the people in the rubber suits in the first one. And they expanded no. in his role for the second one. Okay. No, uh, so in the first one, and this is one of those fun fact things we had talked about before we started recording, if you go back and watch the movie... The four actors in the suits are all in the movie. The pizza guy, the, the guy in the driver. cab. Nope, yep. not the cab driver. Oh. The guy asking, the confirms oh, he wants well. to go to LaGuardia. <laughs> okay. You also have the Foot Clan messenger that slaps April O'Neil. Oh, yeah. And then you have what I call smoking Foot Clan member behind Tatsu. That The only thing he does is it cuts to Tatsu, and this guy's smoking a cigarette, and he flicks it out of his mouth. That's it. And that is Leonardo. I can confirm that scene, that messenger scene. I very much did get into trouble by telling my brother I had a message for him, then opening my hand and <laughs> slapping him. I very distinctly remember going to my room for re Now, did you tell him to shut it? <laughs> oh, God, yes. Yes. <laughs> I have a now, message for you, Philip John. <laughs> shut it. Shut it. <laughs> 
one of my other favorite lines from that movie is go play <laughs> and the little hand signs that he does you've said no big cast but do you have a plot oh yeah plot wise i think you go with what works you do the Orokunagi, Orokusaki would be really cool because it's never been done before. Show the history of the Foot Clan and why that's important in the beginning. Kind of get people in there. It doesn't have to be long. Then easily go to the accident sewer. Like, I really think the intro on the first movie was very good. How there's this moment, something comes in, and then from the shadows are these turtles. You kind of bring that up. Putting April O'Neil back into being a computer programmer is really cool. Let her be intelligent and have Baxter Stockman working on things and you could easily have a real shredder in there. You know, as long as you have turtles, as long as you have the foot clan, it's going to work great. And then at the end of it, you put a teaser for the Krang race and you've automatically set yourself up for an awesome sequel. It writes itself, man. It's money just on the shelf. You just keep Michael Bay far, far away from it. (laughs) Jen, were you able to do anything with this homework assignment? Sure. I would make a movie that is nothing like anything who likes Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles would want. (laughs) I would do it like, no, even farther away. I would do it like John Carpenter's The Thing. You never actually see turtles. You never actually see a giant rat. It's more of a thriller, less of a comedy, zero dad jokes. The turtles themselves never speak. They talk, but you don't understand what they're saying. Splinter is the only one who understands what they say. And Splinter, I would cast as Matt Berry. And again, you wouldn't see him. You'd just hear him. So from the IT crowd, shorter, stockier, dark-haired guy. He's the guy who walks out the window when the company tanks. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's also on the things we do in the shadows. Okay, the the guy that walks out the window is that guy's father in IT crowd. He shows up for him later. The guy who is in... You're thinking of the guy that has the sexy workout room. Yes. yes. The electric that's pants. Matt yes. Oh, yeah. No, yes. great. Great voice. Great. Okay. Voice. So that's Splinter. And for April, at first I thought Ellie Kemper, Kimmy Schmidt, that actress. They but alive, then damn it. I thought Brie Larson would be really good as April. Ooh. Okay. This is a psychological thriller. It's not a comedy. Can I make one suggestion? Because I really feel like you have a real movie coming together here. Can you put <laughs> Summer Glau in it just to really make sure of that success for that movie? <laughs> Because she's really good in a lot of things she does, and they always have really long runs afterwards. And I just want to do everything possible to make sure that this movie can get a sequel and keep getting things made about it. So I'd like to really push for Summer Cloud to be in your movie. Oh, my God. Well, thank you. Thank you for caring. Well, yeah, it's, it's all about the belief system, you know, and I'm just I'm trying to project that to you by saying, please put her in that movie. <laughs> right. <laughs> If somehow this makes it to your ears, Summer Cloud, we adore you. Yeah. But you're cursed. Oh, yes. I, I forgive you for cursed Firefly. Woman. I forgive you for The Cape. I forgive you for Terminator, The Sarah Connor Listen, Chronicles. You do not need to forgive anyone for The Cape. The Cape is wonderful. The Cape was no, spectacular. No, it wasn't. <laughs> yes, it was. It's so the good. Cape had a, the Cape had a two-drink minimum, but it was spectacular. <laughs> you're right. I just say, when she showed up on Arrow, I got scared. Well, this is when Arrow, Arrow was still in the good seasons. No, no, it wasn't. It was already done by then. But anyway, Jen, any more to add for that? Nope, that's good. All right, Barry, you want me to go or you want me to go? 
I'll go. I love Jen's idea personally, but right? I also agree with Jonathan. As far as cast goes, I don't think you need a lot of big names. I think the franchise, I mean, this franchise has been going strong for over 30 years. I don't think you need a whole lot of big names. I think you need one or two for like Roll O'Neill or the people that aren't mutants, obviously. I'm a big fan of Miranda Bachran myself, so I would put her in for like Roll. The rest of the big characters are pretty much all mutants in some way, shape, or form. But my plot line, I wouldn't start with an origin story. I, we've seen the origin story through half a dozen movies, four series. We know what the introduction is. We don't need to start from origins. I would jump in somewhere in the middle and I would put my plot line to be the turtles trying to take down Krang building his big robot body and the Technodrome. I actually like that. You could even do a, a Star Wars-y scroll hey, here's the gist, and start right off in combat with the Turtles. I think that's brilliant. Yeah, jump right into the middle. And every time somebody wants to reboot a franchise, they always start from, how many times do we see Spider-Man? And we always got to start off with the spider bite. Okay, yeah, we get it. Everybody knows that Spider-Man got bit by a spider. Everybody knows that some turtles got dumped in some kind of weird ooze. We get it. Let's just jump in somewhere in the middle and pick a new plot line. Should we just start right off with just the straight up Foot Clan battle with the Shredder there and just nix that right in the beginning? Oh, yeah. For shock value. Here it is, the big battle that normally takes to the end of the movie, and we're doing it right now in the opening. Yeah, first thing, now, big Shredder battle. is dead. You run him straight through. What's going to happen? Yeah, it's the shock value of you walk in, massive battle right off the bat. Wait, what? Did they just kill Shredder? And it's got to be a definitive death. I'm talking head, floor, sword yeah, through him. Like that man off, is dead. Along, you, know, <laughs> you hear the clinking of metal as his helmet yep. like rolling with his head still and, in it rolling along. And let's get some battle damage oh, you're turtles. Oh, you're going to Django fed it. But I want battle damage turtles right in the beginning. Because in the black and white comic, you see these great panels where they have cuts and such all over them. And they've got their bandanas and they're holding their weapons. And it's just one of the coolest things that you don't see in any of the other mediums, really, is this beat up looking turtle taping his arm up. And he's like, I've got this. Let's keep going. And blood soaking through. I'm down with that there. I think you're absolutely. I I don't want a PG-13. I don't want a TV-7. I want R-rated. Let's show some blood. Let's lop off Shredder's head within the first 30 minutes. And let's go on for another two hours and really mess with people's heads. Yeah, because the comics do a great job of that, of actually evolving them. One of the volumes starts off, and they're like in their 30s at that point. And it's really cool to see that development even beyond, just call it Ninja Turtles, and yeah. just roll with it. That is, goes exactly into what my idea was, which it will surprise no one. I have a fully fleshed out treatment for how I would pitch movie plot and cast. You you so, have an outline, you have a cast, you oh yeah you have an entire page of notes just on this question, don't you? I do. And that's why I said you have to tell us this time because he did <laughs> right. this to us before and right. he had an entirely planned out outline, like a pitch paper for the movie right. he wanted to make. So it's funny that you mentioned Spider Man and it's funny that you mentioned the turtles in later in their life. Are you familiar with a graphic novel called Spider-Man Reign? So Spider-Man Reign is Peter Parker when he's 50. Mary Jane has died of cancer because she was married to and sleeping next to a man who was radioactive for years and years. And it's more of a retroactive on going back. What was it like to be Peter Parker? Or or, this is in the future. It is called Ninja Turtles, colon, enter the fly. So what we're going to do is we're going to start... 
with a voiceover where Splinter brings us up to speed. Splinter is dead. So Splinter is our narrator, and he is voiced by Corey Feldman to give that nod to <laughs> where we were and where we're going. Corey Feldman's the voice. You have April O'Neil, because she's actually going to fight in this movie, because she has been hanging around the Turtles for 20 or 30 years, and there's no way that she is ever going to get kidnapped again. Yeah, so, if she hasn't picked up a black belt by now, then right. she is obviously not the smart April O'Neil that we want to have. Right. So Not the later series when she's been trained. She is also married to Casey Jones. So what you have for this is you need actors that can fight and actors that can actually bring some sort of gravitas to that role while also realizing they're in a Ninja Turtle movie, which is why I've cast April O'Neil as Sarah Michelle Geller, and I have cast Casey Jones. Ray, Ray Park. No, Carl Urban. Oh, damn. Because you got a man I'm in a mask. Down. I am no. down. What about Tom Hardy? See, Tom Hardy I thought about. Carl Urban just, if you're going to put Carl Urban and Tom Hardy next to each other, Carl also, Urban wins. That you said Sarah Michelle Geller because, you know, she does April's voice. She does a lot of voice work now, her and FPJ. Well, in the in 2003, the TMNT. She, she... So then, then you're going to Baxter Stockman. Baxter Stockman is working in his lab. It is mentioned that he's funded somehow, but you're not sure how. You basically have the whole fly chamber. So you're going to get a little bit of that horror aspect in. Jen, you don't know who Baxter Stockman is. Think basically the fly. He becomes a giant mutated fly thing. So you're actually going to have nods to it. You're going to have an assistant or possibly even somebody higher up. You're going to have a cameo of Jeff Goldblum to bring that whole the fly thing back. But the scientist himself will be played and later voiced by Sam Neill. Because you're going to get that insanity later. You're going to pull the In the Mouth of Madness event horizon energy out of him. So then Shredder appears. Now the Shredder has been dead for 20 years. But he starts showing back up again in Foot Plan Robberies and the Foot have resurged. And this is when the team has to come back together. Now, the Shredder is gigantic. And another nod to previous movies, you never hear him talk, but in the suit is Kevin Nash. You just want that voice again. You have Big Sexy. (laughs) Big Sexy's going to be walking around the Shredder suit. No Clancy Brown? No. Because he's not going to die in the first beginning of the movie? (laughs) Right. The band has to get back together. Now, for the voices of the Turtles, you have to have actors that embody what the Turtles should be. So, Leonardo leader you need somebody who is definitive somebody who you would follow you need nathan fillion because he still has (laughs) a little bit of that i can be silly and stuff because i mean he's still a person he's not just an archetype but he's got that it's time to gather together it's time to go i'm waiting for the captain hammer moment of the katana as my penis so then you have donatello he's your scientist he's your tech guy he's your nerd And one of the most definitive voices for nerds is Curtis Armstrong, who was Booger in Revenge of the Nerds. He shows up in a ton of other things. He does a lot of voice work. Very recognizable voice. For Michelangelo, somebody that I've always thought sounded like a surfer dude, Chris Hemsworth. You didn't want to do Keanu Reeves? You didn't want to be like, whoa, dude! Man, it's, it's like I cued you. Keanu Reeves is Raphael. See, I was interested in that. Because Keanu Reeves has 
angry voice. Keanu Reeves has a great angry voice. Yeah, but like, you could also do like Liam Neeson for. Yeah, no, no. I like Liam Neeson's voice. I don't like it for this. I like the I'm thinking I'm back that I have okay. had it voice with Keanu. That's fair. See, I think Keanu would be a good Leonardo because he has, like you said, that aggressive voice, but he also can do that cool, wise demeanor. I yeah. like that. And, and if you're going to throw Liam Neeson in there, he could just be Splinter's voice. No, I need the Feld. I need you the need Feld. The movie. What if he has so, a cameo? What if Feldman delivers the pizza? <laughs> <laughs> so, but we're not done yet because obviously we're going to have experiment gone wrong with Baxter Stockman. He has to go out and he's basically trying to figure out how he can reverse things or whatever. Meanwhile, Shredder is chasing him because Shredder is somehow involved with the mysterious person that's been funding Baxter's research, and now he has cost him millions. Turtles finally confront Shredder. They have this whole thing. They have a giant confrontation. And then at one point, they hit inside of the mask. They come back and they say, Clang? Did you say Clang? Shredder is a robot, and the true architect is revealed. It's Karai, who is shredder's daughter played by ming na wen how long did you spend writing up it kept him out of trouble <laughs> i'm like you spent some time on this rest of the movie and at the very end you have a teaser where ming na wen has further all of this has been funded by krang you have the krang empire but krang's voice is Ian McShane. I, I could pick that apart and definitely find a really good movie there. There are a lot of really cool things I like in that. And oh, I yeah. think introducing Karai would be fantastic because Karai is a great character. Well, and I also like the idea of, we've, like Bear said, we've had the origin story so many times. So let's, and everybody knows it. So let's just bounce to the future. Let's. You, you let's could easily meld that even with, with Bear's whole thing of killing the Shredder off in the beginning and at the end uh, having a new Shredder and wondering who this is and right. then revealing it to be Karai. And now you got the audience going, what is this? You unknowingly wrote the sequel to my movie. That's right, I did. I mean, we're working on the trilogy here because we finished it off with Jen's movie where it's all just silent thriller. That's and... right. Where somehow you find out that it's not that they necessarily age or can die of old age. It's just that they become more and more monstrous. Now you're talking the next mutation, which they oh, really do. Yes. Where they have an unstable mutation, which makes them look more like Toka when they mutate. And Leo, the only turtle for some reason, has a metal armored front plate and shell. Small segue on that, because we talked a little bit about the original animated series, but I would say if you're wanting to kind of watch a few of them, the original is great if you want to do it for nostalgia's sake. The 2003 is really good if you want to kind of see an updated version of them, where they give them a little more defined role in character development but by far the best one and i was going to tell you this like that you should have checked out while we were kind of leading up to this is the nickelodeon 2012 series bear and i watched the one episode where they jump turtle universes and like yeah, the um, comic world and the cartoon episode world. 10 yeah of like season four they do trans-dimensional turtles yeah which did watch that is nice. it was very good 
No, that one's really nice. And it actually, they even blended it into the actual storyline that was happening in the 2012 series for that. Turtles Forever was the one I was telling you about. That one came out in like 2009-ish. It was for the 25th anniversary of the Turtles. And it was the first one where they take the Turtles from the 2003 TMNT and the Turtles from the 87 series show up and they're like, who are these absolute buffoons? <laughs> and so they're trying to deal with them and you find out Shredder searches the universe and ends up finding the Shredder from that world who's actually competent and dangerous and ends up becoming kind of his lackey in a sense because he's like, no, you're a fool. I know what I'm doing. And they go to wipe out the Turtles and the prime universe is the black and white one. So they do this wonderful like blend of all three of them together. And near the end, there's even a nod to Eastman and Leard penning out the first issue. That That's one awesome. is 100% worth a watch. So Bear, I think we've answered this earlier. Will you continue reading this comic? I would definitely, like I said, I already did extra credit homework. I would definitely keep reading. I love the black and white. I love the grittiness. One thing that I wanted to point out that I figured you would enjoy. I wasn't sure if you knew about, but Stephen Amell was actually in the Casey the Jones Dave yeah. Green movie. You caught out of that the shadows. It? Yeah, I haven't watched it yet. It's on my list just because. Yeah, I do love me some Stephen Amell, and he's good. He's good, and even Seamus was right. decent in that movie. If you had to sit me down and go, you can either watch the one from 2014 or 2016, but you're watching one of these. I would say watch 2016. It's got more redeemable factors. Jen, I believe you've also answered this question, but out of this franchise, you have stated that this was the most tolerable for you. Would you continue to read this? Um, I might put it on my list. Uh, I do have other things that I am more interested in reading, but it wasn't terrible. I enjoyed it for what it was, but to be honest, probably not. Unless I was out of other things to read, I probably wouldn't pick it up again. Yeah, I probably actually will check out the image run. I think that's varied enough. I may not continue reading the black and white, which I liked aspects of it. I just, it's... As we have gotten into, especially when we talked about Swamp Thing, I'm getting to a point where the older the comic is, the less I can go back. And we will talk about this again during Dark Phoenix and the Chris. Oh, yes, run. we will. <laughs> but we talked about it specifically with Alan Moore's Swamp Thing run, even V for Vendetta. It's getting harder. It's getting harder and harder to go back that far because... As you said at the top of the show, it's not like classical literature. It's not like going back and reading Treasure Island and just having minor issues with the way the dialogue is written. It's the art style. It's the penned-in, hand-drawn lettering that's really small and difficult to read. It's a lot of those things. I may read a more modern Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but a lot of it is nostalgia me. Although I have liked what I've watched of some of the newer cartoon stuff. The 2018 cartoon I have not watched any of because they've gone back to being completely off the rails where like Raph has a tonfa and Mikey has like a spiked mace with a saw blade on it or something like that. Watch the 2012. It really throws in the comic and the old cartoon. I like the idea that you say it. What I picture in my head is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles mixed with street sharks. Yes. <laughs> yes. It, it is 100% a Nickelodeon Ninja Turtles. I think they just had really big success with the original 2012 because I watched it again and got drawn into it. And 
had younger kids that were watching it with me going, this is really cool. Me going, oh yeah, this guy is the Rat King who does this and this. And then they take like a better, a little bit of a pull on it. With reading a comic, it can be really hard because like I said, I think the main thing that throws most people off besides it just being an old black and white style indie publishing is the fact that they were not really linear with their storytelling. They would leave something off on a cliffhanger and then now the next six issues are taking place completely somewhere else and we're not even touching on what we just left you on a cliffhanger for. So you almost, if you're going to read it, you know, if you have a friend that's really into it, have them tell you what episodes, what stuff you could skip. I could tell Jen to, you know, don't worry so much about reading four or five, come back and just touch on six, which kind of sets it up, but really seven to 11 is where you really want to pick that back up on because that's going to complete the storyline here. But all in all, it's definitely worth a read for the first issue alone, I think, if you liked Ninja Turtles, to kind of see where it came from. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming and sharing your expertise with us. Do you have anything to point people to? I am not famous on any of the interwebs, so I don't really have any plugs. I think I have a Twitter with probably three followers at best, (laughs) five real people maybe, and a couple people that for some reason followed me because I retweeted something about independent wrestling and they were like, cool, I'm going to give you a follow. And I'm like, hope you enjoy uh, pictures of my D&D game, my dog, and my current Animal Crossing that I've been working on. Well, we're glad to have you. This yeah, has been always great. a lot of fun. Hopefully we'll have you back in season three. And I think if you put Spawn up there, I would probably have to Ooh, yeah, jump in as well and be like, so let me tell you about this. <laughs> I will come as the expert on John Leguizamo for that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, this has been Graphically Novel. Tune in next time when we discuss the third in our more, more season where we go with the Watchmen. Till then, we'll see you in a week. Take it away, Vandello. Ever as it seems